Welcome to the podcast for St. Andrew's Community United Methodist Church, a loving, caring, overcoming community of faith where our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ. So DA's prayer for the church for the last several, several months has been, Lord, give us the faith to do what you're calling us to do. And I needed an extra helping of that faith this week. It's been a struggle for me this week because I had one idea of the direction that I wanted to go and what I wanted to preach on with regards to discipleship. And it, I kept hearing from God over and over that he had a different idea. Um, when DA first asked me to preach on this Sunday, um, uh, several weeks ago, I immediately knew kind of the direction that I wanted to go. And over the course of the last month, I've just kind of been thinking about things and praying through things. And then this week hit, and um, every time I would try to start putting it together, it was like hitting a wall. There was a distraction here, and this happened, and this happened. And, and yet every conversation that I had with someone, it felt like God was confirming to me a different direction, a different message. And, and I tried pushing God aside. I tried saying, no, I've got this. And, and God uh, finally got a hold of my heart. I think and I hope and I pray that I'm hearing clearly from God this morning as I share um, what I believe to be what God's wanting to share with us with regards to, to, with regards to discipleship. Um, one of my biggest fears in the entire world are Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7. It comes from the most famous sermon that's ever been preached. And he is tackling very difficult topics, and he's laying a new way, and he's saying, you've heard it said this, but I say this. And, and towards the end of this sermon, there's a warning that I, I just um, is my biggest fear, not just for me, but for those that I love, for those that I care for, for those that I pastor and shepherd and lead. And so this is Jesus' words near the end of the Sermon of the Mount on the Mount in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. All right, this is a terrifying thought that any of us could one day say, Lord, Lord, I led a Sunday school class in your name. I led a Bible study in your name. I went on a mission trip in your name. I was at church every Sunday in your name. I did the best that I could. I was a very good person in your name. I gave 10% of my income in your name. And God might look at us and say, I never knew you. Depart from me. And I'm not sharing this as a way to try to scare anyone. Um, I don't think scare tactics work in evangelism and in discipleship. Um, but what do we do with Jesus' words? Right, what do we do other than recognize that there are some, maybe even here, this morning or at this church, 
in our community, there are some who think they are okay, that think they are good to go, and will one day find out that they're not. And I desperately pray that that is not any of us. Part of why I have given my life to ministry and to Jesus is because I desperately pray that not to be true. I desperately pray that no one would think that they are good and that they're doing things the right way and God would say, I don't know you. Serving and giving, which we've discussed the first two weeks of this series, are qualities of a follower of Jesus who are fully engaged in their faith. Um, but serving and giving in and of themselves does not mean someone is truly following Jesus. We can serve and we can give and not have any idea who Jesus is. And that's the warning, that's the scary thing about Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7. And so the question that we all have to wrestle with and have to ask is, do you really know Jesus? Do you really know Jesus? Not things about Jesus, not where he was born, who his parents are, maybe even have sermons of Jesus memorized. Not do we know things about Jesus, but do we really know Jesus? Because you can know all kinds of things about someone without actually knowing them. Knowledge of someone does not mean our relationship with that person. Jesus' call is not to memorize a bunch of facts about him, but to drop everything, to leave everything behind and follow him. And Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. That was not his intent. He came to initiate a relationship. Religion is following the rules. There's a checklist and we've got to do X, Y, and Z. That's religion. Relationship is following Jesus. Religion is knowledge without intimacy. I know all of these things about Jesus, but there's no intimate relationship. Relationship is knowledge plus intimacy. And that's what we should be working towards. That should be our hearts, is not just to know a lot about Jesus, but to truly know Jesus. I love this quote from Mike Breen in a book called Building a Discipling Culture. And it, Mike says, we don't want people to understand forgiveness or prayer or mission or justice only intellectually. Right? We don't want to just be able to define those things and, and know how to describe what they are. We want people who can forgive who can hear and respond to God, who actually know Him. We want people who have hearts that break for our world and the people in it and do something about it. We want the kind of people in our communities who resemble the people we see in Scripture. And that, in my opinion, is where discipleship comes in. Discipleship is just this fancy word that we use that really just means Learning how to follow Jesus more closely. Learning who Jesus is and becoming more like Jesus. And discipleship is how we get to know Jesus and how we become like Jesus. And I think it's important to understand that discipleship is an investment. Right? We define an investment as an act of devoting time, as an act of devoting effort and energy to a particular undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result, right? We devote our time and effort and energy to following Jesus now with the expectation that we will become more like Jesus. 
with an expectation that our hearts and our minds will be transformed and aligned with his. We deny ourselves and invite the Holy Spirit to do a work in us now with the promise that we will find rest for our souls. We surrender to Jesus and choose to follow Jesus now with the promise that we will be created anew and our life will have purpose and meaning. Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and it goes on and on and on. That's why you and I are here today. Jesus made 12 disciples who then continued making disciples that has led to 2022 where St. Andrew's exists and you and I are here this morning worshiping because when we choose to follow Jesus, an aspect of choosing to follow him is not only being discipled, but it's also making disciples. But discipleship's not just an investment, it's an intentional investment. Right? As, as much as I wish this statement wasn't true, I will never accidentally get in shape. I wish it wasn't true. I wish it wasn't. I, I don't think tomorrow I'm going to wake up and go, oh, where did these abs come from? Or wake up tomorrow and go, man, these clothes are just so big on me. Right? We don't accidentally get in shape. It only happens through intentionality through intentional decisions and planning and commitment. Being a disciple of Jesus requires intentionality as well. We don't accidentally get to know Jesus. We don't accidentally become discipled. We cannot be neutral about following Jesus. We cannot be neutral about it. Hebrews 2.1 says, So we must listen very carefully. I'm a man, and so I can recognize some of my faults. At times, I've been told I don't listen very carefully. And it's because I'm not intentional. It's because I become distracted. Right? To listen very carefully requires intentionality. He says, listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. The warning is that if we're not intentional, about the decisions we make in following Jesus and being discipled and listening to the truth is that we're going to drift away. We're going to wander from the truth. When we are not intentional, when we are neutral, we wander or drift in our faith. We become not engaged, but disengaged. We become uninterested and lukewarm. Following Jesus is an intentional decision that we make Every single day, not the one decision that you made in seventh grade. It's a decision that we make every single day intentionally. Discipleship and spiritual growth and getting to know Jesus does not happen by accident. It only happens when we intentionally read the Bible regularly and spend time in prayer regularly and attend church regularly and serve regularly and give regularly. But even more than that, because that's just a list of things, right? It's when we regularly surrender our will to God and our hopes and our dreams and our plans regularly. When we surrender, when we say, yes, Lord, I will follow you, not rules, but you and wherever you lead, that's where I'm going to follow. And that's 
That was the struggle that I had this week with this message was because I wanted something else. I wanted to do something different, and God said, no, this is, this is what needs to be said. And I had to surrender my will to his. If we're not intentional about it, then it won't happen, and we'll actually grow further from Jesus. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, Paul says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. And then in verse 16, he says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Making the most of every opportunity requires intentionality. It requires being intentional. But discipleship is not just an intentional investment, it's also a costly one. And this is the part that isn't fun to talk about. This is the part that sometimes we want to gloss over. Salvation is a free gift that we can't boast about, that God gives us, but discipleship is costly. Jesus clearly lays out his expectations for those who would follow him in Luke chapter 14. Anything short of this level of commitment, Jesus is saying, cannot be my disciples. And it it opens in verse 25, it says a large crowd was following Jesus. This isn't the only place where we see a large crowd following Jesus. right? And what we learn in these instances of large crowds following Jesus is Jesus was more concerned about making disciples than he was drawing a crowd. There was even one example in in the Gospel of John where um, he had just fed the 5,000 and people are chasing after him and they notice that he's on the other side and they run him down and they're like, hey, what's for breakfast, Jesus? And Jesus then begins to teach on I am the bread of life and he says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood. And at the end of that chapter, it says that everyone walked away and left him, and it was just him and his disciples. And he looked at him and he said, are you guys going to leave too? And they said, where would we go? No. Jesus was more interested in making disciples than drawing a crowd, which honestly, at times, goes against what my hope and my dreams and what I focus on. I can be down when only a certain amount of people come to something. I want to draw big crowds. And Jesus says, no. No, let's make disciples. And so we see here a large crowd following Jesus. And and so many times I want to make it easier. Right? I just want, it. just please just say this prayer, just come to the altar, just raise your hand, just believe, right? We want our loved ones and family and friends, just believe. We want them desperately to believe in Jesus. And Jesus isn't looking just for believers, he's looking for followers. And so he's not watering anything down, right? He could say anything he wanted. He could make the crowd bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is what he says in Luke 14, verses 25. And we're going to spend a little bit of time here. Verses 25 and 26, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. You must hate everyone else. And, you know, when we read that, it's like, well, that doesn't make... Okay, 
there's got to be something between the lines, right? Because where Jesus tells us to love our neighbors. He even tells us to love our enemies. Now, I know sometimes family can feel like neighbor and enemy, right? But we're supposed to love our neighbors and our enemies, but then we're supposed to hate those that we're closest to? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make sense. So clearly, Jesus doesn't mean that we are to hate one another, that I'm to hate my family. Clearly, that's not what he means. But what he is saying is that nothing and no one should get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. That by comparison of my commitment and love to Jesus, everything else should follow. Everything, and he says, should even look in comparison as though you hate them because you're so committed to Jesus. Right? Some relationships can compete with and hold us back from following Jesus fully. And Jesus is calling us to maintain a right perspective and to keep our priorities in check, ensuring that he's number one in our lives. And this isn't number one like I've got my top ten favorite people list, and Jesus is one, and then my wife is two, and then we go to... It's, it's not that type of number one. It's more like there's a circle that all my relationships are in, and Jesus is right in the middle. Right? Number one, from the standpoint that Jesus is right in the middle of every decision we make, every action we take, and every relationship we have. That's what Jesus is communicating here, is that he should be in the middle of it all. Not on the outskirts, not only around when it's convenient, but he should be in the middle of it all. And he goes on to say in verse 27, And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Disciples must be willing to suffer and die for the sake of the kingdom of God. Right? An unwillingness to carry our cross can compete with and hold us back from following Jesus fully. Just like relationships can. An unwillingness to fully surrender can hold us back as well. Right? I know sometimes we hear this phrase that um, everyone has their cross to bear. And by that we refer to the inconveniences and burdens that come as a part of the circumstances of our life. But that's not what Jesus is meaning here when he's saying to take up our cross. Jesus was looking ahead to the instrument of his suffering and death, which would forever become the symbol of redemption. He's calling us to be willing to identify with him and his redemptive mission. Our commitment to Jesus has to be greater than our commitment for protection or being comfortable or being safe. Right? If you remember back several weeks ago when we were looking at the disciples and the church being created and this intense persecution they're facing and they weren't praying to be comfortable and to be safe. They were praying for boldness to obediently follow Jesus. That is the type of commitment that Jesus is talking about. Are we willing, not that, not that we're in a, a place in history or a context or a culture where our lives might actually be in jeopardy. There are places in this world where that is absolutely the case. Probably not going to happen in South Oklahoma City. But are we willing to say, yes, Jesus, no matter what, I surrender everything to you. Are we willing 
The disciples, when facing persecution, were willing. They were willing. Jesus says, if you're not willing, you can't be my disciples. And that is a hard pill to swallow. And then he continues in verse 28, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. Right? He's saying, hey, don't make the decision to follow me without actually considering the cost of it. Because it, it's hard. Right? Following Jesus is very simple. But it is incredibly hard, and he's saying count the cost because we don't want to make this decision and then one day decide, no thank you, and walk away. Count the cost, he's saying. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Verse 31, or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Disciples must give everything to God. Discipleship means not just surrendering our relationships and saying, yes, Lord, you're going to be in the middle of each of those. It's not just surrendering our lives and saying, I'm willing to take up my cross, but it's surrendering everything, laying everything at the feet of Jesus. Disciples are those who have considered the cost Determined that with God's help they can finish what they've started, and they've shouldered their cross and have decided to give up everything to follow Jesus. Right? Jesus' invitation to the original 12, or at least to some of them, was to drop their nets. Drop your nets. Now, they weren't just fishing for fun. Right? I, that's, that's what I do. I'll go fishing for fun. That isn't what they were doing. They weren't just fishing for fun. Right? That was their family business, which came with extra responsibilities, extra expectations. Right? It was their livelihood. It was their lifestyle. Jesus is saying, drop your nets, drop everything, everything that you've known. Drop the known and the comfortable for the unknown and the uncomfortable. And it eventually cost them their lives. Right? God may not be calling us to be martyred or to leave the family business or everything and everyone behind, but being a disciple means that we're willing to let God be the owner of everything, including our very lives, and that we're willing to walk away from it all if asked. For me, that meant walking away from sports broadcasting. That was my big dream 20 years ago. Got a degree in broadcast and electronic media at OU, already had a job at the sports animal in Oklahoma City, and that was my dream. That were, those were my plans. That's what I had worked up to. And Jesus called out to me. He didn't say, drop your nets. He said, drop your press pass. I've got something different for you. I've got something very specific for you. And so for me, as I focused more on discipleship and as I focused more on knowing Jesus and not just about him, it became more and more obvious God's call on my life. And I think that's 
true of all of us, right? As we begin to know Jesus more and more, the purpose for our life becomes more and more clear. Jesus says, I will make you fishers of people. All of us have something to drop, whether it's a net or a press pass or whatever it is, all of us have something to drop, something to surrender to follow Jesus so that our purpose becomes more clear in life, so that we can know Jesus more. The more that my heart aligned with his, the more I wanted to obediently follow Jesus. So discipleship is an intentional investment, and it's a costly investment, but it's an investment with a purpose. A purpose that is more important than any other thing in the world, and that is to know Jesus. The purpose of discipleship is to know Jesus intimately. All right, the best biblical word for the word intimate is to know. All right, in Hebrew, it's yada, Y-A-D-A, is to know. It is to be fully known and to fully know. Right, and so in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, when it says that Adam laid with Eve, it's Adam yada. Adam knew Eve. And that same word, yada, that is used to describe the relationship between Adam and Eve knowing one another, is the word when you trace it throughout the Old Testament that is used to describe how God knows us and desires to be known by us. The same word. And so we read in Psalm 139, 1-4, O Lord, you have examined my heart, and yada, know everything about me. You yada, know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I am far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. One of the many confirmations that I received this week as I was wrestling with this message this morning came yesterday on a friend's Facebook post. And Bonnie saw it and she sent it to me and said, hey, I was thinking that this might be of an interest to you as, as she and I have been talking about this throughout the week and it was a, a quote from John Eldridge from his book, Beautiful Outlaw. And this is what he says. We are not meant to merely love Jesus' teaching or his morals or his kindness or his social reforms. We are meant to love the man himself, to know him intimately, to keep this as the first and foremost practice of our lives. God knows us and wants us to fully know him so that one day we don't hear, I never knew you, depart from me. We hear, well done, good job, faithful servant. Let's pray.